0: I'm Wendy Conquest and welcome to Conversations on Sex, Addiction, and Relationships. I'm here with my friends and colleagues, Tim Stein, Dan Drake, and Jeannie Vittoni. And today we're going to talk about what recovery looks like. So in our video conversation, is it an addiction? We talked about what addiction is and different types of addiction. Today, we're talking about the word recovery Some people wanna be cured of addiction. Today we'll uh, talk about if that's possible or not. And we'll also talk about what we see as successful recovery from addiction. Hi guys, how you doing? So I gotta tell you guys, uh, my basement flooded on Friday night. Why,
1: how? It's the middle of summer. What's going on?
0: I know it. So I I went downstairs and the carpet's like squish, squish, squish. And I'm like, this, I don't think this is right. (laughs) I don't think this is a good thing. And, and and, you know, what I realized is, um, well, first of all, the whole experience made me realize how freaking entitled I am, like, you know, entitled to running water, entitled to hot water and yeah uh, entitled to a dishwasher and, you know, this machine doing dishes for me. Um, so it ended up being a cracked drain pipe that was inside the wall. Um, and let's see. So all weekend try, everyone was saying to me, you got to find the source, you got to find the source. And so I'm, you know, going outside at 11 o'clock at night, turning on faucets and turning off, faucets, and, you know, running back downstairs. but uh anyway uh as of uh tuesday um they came and found that it was a cracked drain pipe and it's fixed and so um it was an experience what i think one of the things that it highlighted for me is um how well or not well i handle stress (laughs) you know yeah it well, was a real, real way
2: to
1: learn.
3: Yeah. You, <laughs> which which side of the
1: fence did you fall there, Wendy?
0: <laughs> I think I was falling on both sides of the fence <laughs> through the weekend. <laughs> uh, yeah. um, some, I, I, I have to say, my my meditation uh, helps a lot. Yeah. And so that was really really helpful as as uh, pointing out one of my better resources. Um, also just, uh, talking to everybody I knew and saying uh, neighbors, I got to know my neighbors much better. It really helped my sense of community. And I found out a lot about the history of the houses here, like, all of them flooded in the 2013 Boulder flood. Oh, uh, wow. That I didn't know. Uh, so it was, it was a, a really amazing experience, um really amazing know my house better now I guess
1: <laughs> and myself better now yeah the inside of your walls better the inside of my yep yeah.
4: that's a beautiful metaphor I mean I just hear you know like in recovery walk into the the deep deep dark depths of what's going on but and as painful and as difficult and uncomfortable as it is coming out the other side having learned more about yourself and the people around you and life in general and what you can actually do that's a very Sorry, I'm sorry your house flooded. I'm glad you got something out of it.
0: I it was a choice. Either I go into the fetal position and just pretend it's not happening, <laughs> or I engage with it. And so uh, I chose to engage with it. And um, those mitigation fans they put in that sound like a jet airplane. That, that was that was an in- those were interesting nights.
2: <laughs> oh my god. <gosh>, yeah.
4: <laughs> Yeah, don't you learn a lot about yourself when you walk in someplace and it's like just chaos or crisis or completely different than it's supposed to be?
1: Yeah. 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 So all is well, your your wall is re-plastered, re-intact, drain is fixed. Oh, oh no, no.
0: Okay. No. Okay. Because I was like, that's a uh-huh. really quick turnaround, Wendy. No, 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 no. It's so all the, okay. pipe,
1: the pipe got fixed the That's where we're at <laughs> and you've pulled all the carpet out or is that still to be done
0: no they took all of that out they took oh, all good. the carpet out and they put the uh there's something to to make sure things don't grow uh-huh. um, and uh, I don't know what that term is and uh and let's see uh, yes the but the drywall still needed to be replaced I need to figure out what to do with the floor I'm thinking of one of those cool epoxy cement, you know, the cement put epoxy on the cement. I'm thinking of that just in case it floods again. (laughs) I think that's brilliant.
1: Uh,
4: So (laughs) things are better, but there's still work to do.
1: That's right. (laughs) Is that (laughs) life?
2: You know what I found too? Oh, sorry, go ahead, Jane. No, I'm done. I was just thinking some of those, you know, and and I don't know, I don't know what it costs to repair, you know, the, the crack, one crack, in a, in a drainage pipe, you know, if you had, mm-hmm. I just think of some of that, that's not the fun kind of exciting work you want to do in a house, right? Like all the infrastructure, the pipes, the, but how critical that is because once those things crack, it creates so much damage. Like mm-hmm. I like to to decorate the place, you know, the painting, the moving furniture, the arranging stuff, you know, all that kind of fun stuff, but that's, that's just so like how critical the infrastructure is for this. Mm-hmm. You know? i like
0: that too it's an analogy for recovery as well right it's how how many addicts love to put on a pretty face and a pretty persona and like to play you know the perfect Mm -hmm. gal or the perfect guy and then they're you know that they and no one else is looking at the infrastructure of Mm -hmm. of the the core of what's really going on Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: yeah especially
2: especially for our clients who have you know, working primarily in sex addiction, where there's so much shame involved, and I find you know a lot of the clients that, that I see, they they polish a nice exterior, they they look good on the surface. You you wouldn't be able to tell there's problems sometimes until everything blows up. But okay. I often tell my clients, like you don't you don't need my help. You know, you don't need to convince me of how good of a guy you are or you know polish this exterior. You've done this. You've you've had enough practice doing that to the world. What you need my help with is the other guy, the other side of yourself you don't want to show all the, the cracked pipes, all the things that you, you, you were kind of ignoring or not dealing with along the way, so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so West sobriety side.
4: is no longer having a pipe that is leaking water all over the floor. Recovery is mm-hmm. making sure there aren't other cracks in the pipe that are potentially going to create that leak and then starting to sort of patch up, clean up, repair you know, get, get, get everything sort of back in a ongoing, you know, workable state, and then the maintenance that keeps it there.
0: So I have a lot of clients that want to know the difference between slips and relapses in recovery. And so this is a term used a lot, these terms are used a lot in 12-step culture. And so can we talk about this
4: I'm looking Four, at Julie's face. I think she has something Get to say up. about this.
1: <laughs> okay, so let me slow down because my brain just launches when I hear this word "slip," and 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 as you guys know, I work with addicts and partners, right? So I worry that the word "slip" is a minimization. So, with the idea of slip, like, how does one define that? And and I'm the the piece about. We're we are and our forte is sex addiction, but I am not myself well versed in chemical addictions, you know, um, drug addictions, alcohol addictions. So I don't know. Do they f- define slips differently? Because I-, I people use the word slip, as in I did a relapse behavior, but I didn't do it for very long. Or I stopped and I backed out of it, or something like so that. So does
3: this feel how like? Do you, how do you guys describe slip? Well, I think there's different ways we could define sobriety, right? And what that what that looks like. And there's different there's different ways that people do that. I I I guess for alcohol, let's say I'm an alcoholic. What's that? Someone instead of you know drinking liquor, I had a beer, or I you know that 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 doesn't really fly with with chemicals. Usually, it's an abstinence model. Yeah. So. I think that's the difference we talked about with, with uh, chemicals versus process addictions, that the goal of a process addiction recovery is not abstaining completely from the behavior. It's changing your relationship with the behavior. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'm, I think, and also I'm, I'm curious now with slips versus relapse, because there's, when you talk to, especially if, if we're talking sex addiction and this person's in a relationship, the betrayed partner typically doesn't have a nuanced appreciation of what a slip versus a relapse is at least that's what I've experienced versus you know on the addict side that they may so yeah I I guess your so your question Jeannie how do we define it
1: yeah I'm curious of how do you all define it and then I mean I don't know we don't have a substance addiction person here with us today but if if that world defines it differently for me okay I'll just share me no there is no slip And I also use the SAA model, Sex Addicts Anonymous, three-circle model. And so, again, just for our listeners, that is a way of organizing and understanding one's addiction. Outer circle, self-care behaviors. Middle circle, I would say caution-beware behaviors. They might cause you or to trigger you or think about more sexual relapse. Inner circle behaviors. Inner circle is, if I do this behavior, I've relapsed. So in my mind, clarity is key. And so if you do an inner circle item, you've relapsed. It's not a slip, it's a relapse. I think now it- with that, with that, I want each person to individually decide for themselves where is the line of relapse. For example, and this is what I'll compare when I do with alcoholics. Did you relapse when you walked in the bar? Would you consider that a relapse? Did you relapse when you ordered the beer? Did you relapse when you put the beer to your lips? Did you relapse when you drank from the beer? Like everyone is different on that. And so I think that's part of the process of creating clarity about what are your relapse behaviors. But once you've done that, if you do, a re- if you do one of those behaviors, it's a relapse. There is no slip. You might further define your relapse behaviors But in my world, I have a real reaction to slip because I don't want it to sound like a minimization of an action.
3: I think on the the addict side, I'll say, because I completely agree, because sometimes it's used to justify, well, I just did X, Y, or Z, and it wasn't Mm -hmm. that bad, which Mm -hmm. may on the surface, I think the distinction I often hear with a slip versus a relapse, Mm -hmm. someone may have engaged their bottom line inner circle behaviors. They may have crossed the line. And yet what did they do after? Did they say, oh, screw it. I've already gone this far. I might as well just make it a real, make it count, you know, Mm -hmm. and then they go on a bender for two weeks um, versus someone who's like, oh man, I I did violate my sobriety, but I'm going to go reach out to my sponsor. I'm going to go talk to my therapist or my support team. And then they get right back into recovery. Mm
2: -hmm. To me that
3: that's, that's a big difference between Mm -hmm. what someone does post Um, it's not used to justify, but I do think there's a difference in how someone acts, you know, after they, they violate their sobriety. I think that's really
0: important also with a partner, because what I hear a lot is, okay, you know, you had a a relapse, but you didn't do anything. You didn't use any of the tools of recovery. Um, and so that's what I'm more upset about because if you were not using those tools, then that's going to set you up to keep doing this behavior. and, And that's really scary for me.
4: I find, because Jeannie, I mean, obviously you and I work together. And so I've very historically fallen on the, I just avoid the the term slip. Uh, And, you know, if you cross your, you know, if you cross your bottom line, you, you know, it's a relapse period. One of the things that I am finding more recently with some of my clients is I think that there's a factor of time that goes into this as well. If I've got somebody who is, in the first couple of years of their sobriety, they're trying to get traction. They're trying, I, they're trying to figure out what this looks like. I'm going to give them very little wiggle room. And so if they walk in and say, this was a slip, you know, I'm going to say, no, we're, we're not doing slips. We're do- it was either a relapse, you did it, or you didn't, because you really need to figure out that, that boundary. I find myself, however, with some of the, the people that are doing the advanced group work that I also sort of am involved with, I find some of those guys that are like two, three years sober where they get in a point where they're working their program. They get a little squirrely. They don't go off the deep end of their addiction, but they cross over that boundary. But then they walk back immediately. They're bringing it to our, our group. They're, they're talking about it. They're bringing it to their partner. and not. And while if I had somebody who was like three months sober or six months sober, I would say that's a relapse. With these guys, I find myself sort of having a little bit of a different conversation, which is, you know, I could see that as a slip. I don't know that I would reset your sobriety, but there's but there's also a piece, and I'll, I think this is really fascinating, is that it often opens up a conversation of, but if you do call it a relapse, does your sobriety date have more integrity? And does that integrity actually act as a springboard to strengthen your sobriety moving forward. So I find myself opening the door to slip as a term that I would be willing to consider with more time in program sobriety, solid recovery. Whereas early on, uh, I, I almost eliminate it completely because I find it problematic.
1: My concern with the word slip is, is, the, is the concern that it's creating an, a loophole. And and if you have clarity between what is and isn't, I feel like people have a better understanding of what they're going for or, or what's acceptable to them in their recovery. And when you bring in the partner piece and the partner betrayal piece, it's usually a zero tolerance. Now, relapse does occur and we need to plan for that and be thoughtful of it, especially when working with process addictions. And there's a difference of relapsing on one behavior versus another typically for partners, but I don't want to encourage a loophole. So, and and separately, I hear what you guys are saying about like, Dan, after, after the behavior, you know, what terminology, absolutely, we're looking at how does the person come back from that? Do they hide? Do they keep the secret and keep going? Or do they bring it, get into transparency, talk about it with people. I would say that someone who is utilizing their tools, talking about it with their group, talking about it in their meetings, talking about their therapist, sharing it with their betrayed partner, that's good recovery. Mm -hmm. And someone's hiding or not, or overcome with the shame or whatever, they're not as much in a good recovery spot. So I wouldn't change the terminology of relapse versus slip but I absolutely would acknowledge whether they're in good recovery processing it or maybe not so good recovery processing it.
0: You know, I, I'm thinking that the word slip came from the 12 step jargon of a slippery slope. Mm. And someone is in a slippery slope heading towards a relapse. I'm thinking that's where that terminology came you from.
4: Know, I've heard mm-hmm. in the past people define a slip as I cr- I, I went into inner circle behavior addictive behavior, it was a one-time incident. I pulled myself back out, I got back on program and I continued um, versus a relapse being, I went into, into my addictive behavior and allowed it to become a pattern.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I've um, heard that as well. And, and uh, I think what's starting to happen in uh, the recovery community is that, that people are trying to determine, well, when do I tell my partner um, and when don't I? Okay, I'm always gonna tell my sponsor if they're doing 12-step work. Um, but, but, you know, if I'm going to tell the partner, if it's just, it's just, just Mm, you hear that word, (laughs) just to slip that I really, I really don't need to. And so it brings in this whole (laughs) idea of shame. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, in recovery, no one wants to go back into that old behavior. And yet a lot of times, uh, that's where they find themselves. And then they have to say, oh my gosh, now I have to, tell my wife, my girlfriend, my boyfriend, my husband, I don't wanna do that. That's gonna be really challenging. That's gonna be yeah. really scary. Uh, they said the last time, if I did any behavior like this, I was gonna get thrown out on the street and that I, I wasn't gonna be able to see the kids anymore. So let's just not, let's, let's just pretend this just didn't happen. And uh, that that's a big problem well you, then, absolutely
4: you're talking this is where we're talking about what is recovery because sobriety i i sometimes shorthand it and say sobriety is about what we don't do recovery is about what we do mm-hmm. and so if we have a relapse the, the 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 relapse itself is a sobriety issue what do i do after that is really recovery Am I willing to be rigorously honest with my community? Am I willing to call the people that ask for advice? And when I make those phone calls, am I calling the guys who I know are going to say, oh, you probably don't need to tell her because it's okay? Or am I calling the guys who are really more couples, relational, partner sensitive, who are going to say, oh, wow, I know that's really tough. And I know you're really scared. And I don't know what's going to happen here, but you got to tell her because, or tell him or your partner, because it's really a matter of of integrity and recovery and sort of how you're choosing to live your life and doing this in a very different way. Um, And so there's that, you know, what am I doing? Am I willing to walk into that that situation and be rigorously honest and transparent and ask for advice from the people who are really going to give me solid advice, not advice that I like and that's comfortable, but advice that's really going to push me forward in living my life in a different way.
0: Tim, I love that de- definition. Did you come up with that? Sobriety is what you don't do. Recovery is what you do.
4: I would Did love you? to take credit for that, but I know I heard it from somewhere <laughs> before.
0: I like that definition that's a good. lot. Yeah, yeah, because I think
3: sometimes people come into our, at least on the attic side, they'll come into my office and that's what they're focused on. What don't I do? But it's like, don't, you know, thinking, don't think of the pink elephant in the room. If I'm not thinking about the pink elephant in the room, what am I thinking about? Yeah, the pink elephant in the room. So it's like, what am I focused on? You know, it's still if I'm focused on not doing something, I'm still my focus is still on that behavior. So what am I? What am I living for? What What is recovery? What are all these pieces? How do I build back in? You know, affirmations and and healthy intimacy with my partner and with you know other relationships and how do I reach out to other people instead of isolating or doing you know all those other kinds of recovery moves. So I, I love that too. I think it's a good distinction.
1: So here's- I want to get back to you, Wendy. Here's- I want to go back to you because rigorous honesty is hard. It's a hard thing.
3: Define rigorous honesty,
1: Jeannie. uh, uh, Truthful, even when it hurts. And I don't mean hurt them. I mean, is hard for you. Even though you have shame, you're working through it to tell the truth. Now, saying it to someone else, I want to be careful with all my pointing of my hand movements here. Be- when sharing something about someone else, I want to be thoughtful about how I share that if it's going to hurt them. And people get hurt in relationships. We hurt each other's feelings. We need to learn how to manage the hurt, but being careful how you say something. But with rigorous honesty being one of the tenets of recovery, I want to come back to slip or re- slip or relapse. Do I tell my wife? Do I tell my wife, it's just this, it's just that? And like, you know, minimization crazy land right there. But if you know that your wife would, or husband, girlfriend, boyfriend, partner wants to know, and it would be meaningful to them, and you don't tell them, then you've created a lie by omission. Now we're deeper in trouble here. Now we're deeper and and repeating a traumatic experience of withholding information.
4: And you're walking so, into my favorite challenge for addicts, which is okay. why are you withholding that information? Yeah. Holding it because you're afraid that your partner is going to be upset, angry, or hurt. And so by withholding it, you're actually you're protecting yourself. No, you're emotionally manipulating your partner. Yes. So that their emotional state is more comfortable for you, which is the exact opposite of what you try to do in recovery in the first place.
1: Exactly. And that's what I meant by you're protecting. If I'm holding that because I don't want her or him to be upset. And I don't want to hurt them further. And how many times have we all heard this? Well, I didn't want to hurt her or him further. Well, I well, get that, but and now you holding step, a lie. one so step that's further, all about you, my friend.
3: I, I agree. And I think that's a really important point, Jeannie, because I, I, people will use the the phrase in the ninth step that yes. they in, in program, right? It, it, which is what,
1: Dan? Which is what? Educate which you listeners. basically- Well, I let Dan in, finish.
3: <laughs> your ninth step, you're basically sharing your amends with, with other people, except when to do so would harm them or others. So they'll use that phrase as a way to say, okay, well, if I share this truth, rigorous honesty, it's going to hurt my partner. So therefore, if I, if it's going to hurt them, I shouldn't share it. It'll but even, I 100% agree. It's not about, yeah. yeah, who am I really protecting if I'm looking at it? It'll Myself.
4: It'll even go deeper Woo! than that. When, when people are breaking down the, the big book of AA because Bill W. in there actually says, you know, if we have done other indiscretions such as, you know, been in uh, had infidelity outside of our marital relationship, should we tell our partners about that? And then he says, no, we shouldn't because we've already done enough damage to them already with all of our alcohol stuff and all the stuff we put them through. We shouldn't tell them that. And so people will hear that and they're like, well, you see, I shouldn't tell him. And what they don't realize is that when, we, when we've gone back and looked at Bill W. in his life, he was a sex addict. Tim, will you
0: clarify who Bill W. was, please? Oh, yeah,
4: Bill W. was one of the founders, along with uh, Dr. Bob of Alcoholics Anonymous. But Bill this- W. Was a, was a sex addict. He, he had affairs consistently and couldn't contain that. The AA program had to sort of like pull a lot of the administrative stuff out of his hands because it was going nuts. And to this day, a percentage of all big book proceeds go to his affair partner's family so that they wouldn't have said anything. And so when you understand that background, and then you see Bill W. say, well, we shouldn't tell him if we had sexual infidelities. It's like, well, of course, that's a sex addict who's not in recovery, coming up with a convenient reason with his addict justification for why he shouldn't do that. And so there's all this stuff that we have to go into. You don't like me going there, Jeannie?
1: I'm concerned that if we put something, yeah, that it's it's we're putting ourselves in a libel situation about with the affair partner's family stuff.
4: That's all, so- that's actually all.
1: Is it all public knowledge and well-understood and well-agreed to? Uh-huh. Okay.
4: And I don't know that I need to put that in there. I mean, I, I just find that interesting. But I... or,
1: or Tim, you could say, this is what I've heard. Yeah. You know, I so was after. gonna say, what, Tim, regarding what you were saying. Okay, hold on. <laughs> what you were saying, Tim, it shows, again, that difference between process addiction sex addiction, chemical dependency is addictions. It's a total, you know, don't tell and don't harm others. However, in the addiction that we are specialists, there's other people involved. It's in the relationship, not that I understand that chemical and drug addiction is also impacting the relationship, but when we're addressing the intimacy, the sexual intimacy and trust, it's a little bit different or a lot different.
0: So there's a big question that comes up a lot. Um, once, once, let's say a relapse happens or once an event happens that is uh, contrary to my sobriety, how long do I have before I have to tell my partner? Now I have a 12 hour rule, but um, many, many therapists have 24 hour, 48 hour. And so I'm curious.
4: We actually do a 48 hour rule. And yes. in the way that we do it, um, is, is we tell the addict, uh, you've got 24 hours to contact your therapist, your sponsor, other guys in program, let them know what happened, explore with them what boundaries you failed to hold, what choices you made and what walked you doing that, down that path to relapse, and then explore with them how to share this respectfully with your partner. And then they have up to 48 hours um, from the time of relapse to share what they processed with and how that what what happened with their partner. And so we do the 48 hour because I want them to have that process with other people first, because I don't want the addicts to, um, you know, I sometimes addicts use their partners as their higher power. I relapsed, I'm going to tell you, you're going to be understanding. And I'm going to take that understanding and feel better about myself and get myself back on track. Or, I'm gonna tell you, you're gonna be angry. I'm gonna feel guilt about that. And I'm gonna use that sense of guilt to get myself back on track, which is really, I'm using my partner as you know, my, my higher power to sort of get me back on my recovery path. And I, I don't want partners to be in that that situation. It just feels manipulative to me.
0: I understand. I, also want- I, I do 12 hours, I uh-huh. do 12 hours because what I found over and over again, if it's longer, so if a, a, a slip happens at five o'clock at night, than they have until five o'clock the next morning. And um, the reason that I do that, or or if it happens at five o'clock at night, they have to five, uh, uh, what do I, the, the opposite. Um, and the reason that I do that is because if what I've seen over and over again is that if more and more time goes and they don't use their recovery tools, they don't reach out, the the their the that addict mind starts going, and they have all these justifications of why it really wasn't a relapse, and they really didn't do anything. It wrong. was just a slip, and then
2: <laughs> it could
0: be just a slip, or or it really wasn't anything really, and and so all the justification and minimalization comes in, and sometimes then it just. Uh, it just goes. And they they say, you know, I, I've, I have decided not to tell her uh, I've decided I'm going to process it. I processed it uh, the next day with my sponsor and we decided that it wasn't that big a deal. So what I want them to do is, is, is as soon as it happens, they're making their phone calls.
4: One of the things they're, they're
0: reaching out. Well, so I, I say, hang on, hang on, hang on, and that that if they if they don't have a complete scenario to present in in a, in a in a, a partner sensitive, um, compassionate way, that they at least say to their partner, "Hey, there's been an event. I'm working on it, and I will get back to you." And then a date is set because that gives the partner time to say, oh my gosh, an event. Now I have to get my resources together. I need to get, I need to call my therapist. I need to call my support team, whether that's family, maybe I need to set up childcare. If this is going to be a big deal, I need to take care of myself, but at least I've got cues, you know, the cue that I'm going to be able to um, have time to do this.
2: Yeah.
4: I, I, I will say, I want to hear what Dan does, mm-hmm. but, but I want to say real but quick. But I'm going <laughs> <laughs> to talk.
1: You know him so
0: well, Dan. I love you, Tim. A,
4: so much. As, as I was saying, I want to hear what Dan has to say, but i <laughs> But are you going to share it for me? <laughs> no. When you were talking about addicts sort of like convincing themselves, well, I, 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 well I've talked with people and I decided I'm not going to tell them. It, it is really difficult to get me to fire a client. But, but I will say one of, the, one of the, the surest ways to get me to say, I'm not willing to continue working with you mm-hmm. is if you have a relapse and, you're, and you decide to keep it a secret and not tell your partner about it. Um, that just for me undermines the, the, the sobriety and recovery work that the addict is doing. It undermines the relationship. I think it's harmful to the partner. Uh, and I'm, I'm just not willing to work with somebody if they're gonna withhold that kind of information. Um, do you
0: tell them that like right up front?
4: I don't, I don't then, have do conversation or... every addict up front, but no. it's not an uncommon conversation where I'll say, you know, I, uh, when, when we talk about why you have to be rigorously honest, it, it often comes up and I will share that with my clients and say, yeah, I'm not willing to work with
3: people if this is what's going on. And I, I appreciate that, Tim. I've been in situations where I feel like I'm colluding with a con, where I'm like implicitly gaslighting by saying, no, nothing is going on when there are things going on. And I, I hate that feeling in my own integrity as a clinician. So I, I'm, I really appreciate that. Um, I was going to say a couple of things. First, I, this is the conversation I don't want to have after relapse, by the way. So if I'm working on the addict side, I, and as hard as it is, I understand these are tough conversations that nobody wants to have with a couple of what is a plan? because it certainly doesn't justify a relapse by any means. This is not justifying it, but if worst case scenario happens and we do have a relapse, what's the plan? Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, I've, I've hoped for the best sometimes and not had this conversation before with some couples. And then all of a sudden we're here and I'm like, well, I think your partner would want this, but I never actually found out. And that's not what I wanna be doing. I don't wanna speak, be speaking for the partner. So hopefully the boundary, maybe I'm just simple, but the boundary, the partner says, this is what I wanna know. And then I look at if it's a inner circle violation, there's no wiggle room. Did you violate your inner circle? And, and if you did, then you got to tell your partner because they wanted to know within this time frame. Mm-hmm. So maybe there's a bigger discussion of inner circle, and maybe there is something about changing the circles if there's something that needs to be adjusted. But to me, I the other thing I wanted to say, Tim, you created this relapse autopsy, which I share with my guys. And I think it's really, really a valuable tool. It's a 12 page document. That's not easy to go through and it's, but yet it really helps them focus on what went wrong and what do I need to change my plan moving forward? And I found if they do that deep dive and they really invest in that, they're, they're less and less likely to actually go down that path again. And their partners are going to also feel safer. Like, Oh, I'm actually trying to learn what the heck happened here. You know, Mm -hmm. something did you,
0: did you say a 12 page document? What did you say?
3: It's 12 pages.
0: Who, who created it? Tim made it. Tim made it. So Tim, clinicians, so I'm Our just saying. Any, okay. So clinicians that are listening to this podcast or watching mm-hmm. the video cast, can they contact you? And is that, is that for sale or is, uh, um, is there a way that they can get that?
4: Yeah, they, they can get it from me. I send it as a, as a PDF to them. Um, and uh, all I ask is that they leave it on my letterhead so that, that, that willow tree and myself get credit for it. Mm-hmm. Um, at some point I've got a book in the in the makings that that's going to be a part of, so at some point I'll include it in a book, but um, but it the whole point of the the relapse autopsy is if you're going to relapse, I don't want you relapsing the same way twice. I want you learning okay. from it because really the only relapse that's truly worthless is the one you don't learn from. Mm-hmm. And so if you've relapsed and you can learn. What was it that walked me into this? What was the what was the choice I made? What was the boundary I didn't hold? What was the situation that came up that really sort of pushed my trauma or emotional wounding? What what was it that that pushed me into this? And let me learn from that so that I can do something different next time. That that's what's what's, what's,
0: the point. what's that document called, Tim? What's the document called?
4: Called a relapse autopsy.
0: Relapse autopsy. And so if people want to get a hold of you, how they, how do they get that?
4: They could email me directly at Tim at Willowtreesantarosa.com.
1: Dan, yeah, I love what you were saying about having that conversation, preferably before relapse occurs. And and I know that I'm guessing most of us or all of us use some sort of relapse conversation during disclosure. Because I know Tim and I, when we do a disclosure. The second day, the very last thing we're talking about is what's the relapse agreement. And it's really an honor.
0: Sorry, Jeannie, can you define disclosure, please, for those of the audience
1: that don't know what that is? Absolutely. So therapeutic disclosure is when the addict is working with their therapist to do a full accounting of their sexual addiction history, as well as any other secrets and bringing them forward in a truth telling way. Betrayed partner is working with betrayed partners, therapist, creating questions that haunt them, that get in their way of healing that they really need the answers to. And then that list of questions is given to addict and addict therapist where that addict then creates answers, written answers. Then the four of us get together and the addict is sharing the document about the sexual um, behaviors, history and any other secrets that are in play and answering questions. Sometimes polygraph is involved or I detect either on the front side or the back side of the disclosure or both to make sure we're doing as much as we can to make sure the truth is in the room. There's my little disclosure monologue. Okay, back to relapse agreement. So this disclosure process happens that usually is a couple of hours because there's dialogue and there's understanding of what's gone on. And everyone is very well prepared by the way. There's lots of supports put in place and plans to do self-care. But the relapse agreement is, I agree to tell you these things in this kind of protocol. And that's where Tim's referring to 24 hours, community therapist and 48 hours to partner. And partner gets to choose in that process of what they wanna know about. What are the key issues for them? And so I, I know a lot of professionals in our field have variations of this. But it does come to be a hard thing when what if the relapse happens before the disclosure? And so, timing of that kind of introducing as clinicians, coaches out there, helping professionals working with these couples, having that conversation before it's needed is really important. And, and my, my little throw out to the public would be listeners, if you're in this situation and your helping professional hasn't brought this up, please bring it up with them be your own advocate, say how well, let's plan for this. How could this be? I don't want it to happen, of course, but if it does happen, how do I want it to roll? What do I want to be notified about?
3: Can I ask you Jeannie? Cause I mentioned this earlier, but I, I often get uh, partners get triggered by this, especially if it's pride. I completely agree, but yet partners get triggered. I say if we're having this conversation, it's almost like we're we're saying this is going to happen or we're, yeah. we're excusing it or okaying it. So how do you I have know. that conversation or what would you say to, betrayed partners out there about this conversation ahead of time?
1: A first is totally acknowledging that I get it, that they are fearful. If we're planning for it, then it will happen. And that's the fear. I, I really couch it in the being best prepared way. It is a step of preparation because we don't want to be caught off guard of what do we do? And I don't want them caught off guard of what do we do? I, I often will say, you know, you've had discovery in the kitchen while you're making dinner. You had no warning, there was no plan of what to do. So we're just trying to do our best planning now and and totally identifying that it's uncomfortable, we don't want it, it's not. And some people are like, it's not tolerated. If that happens, X, Y. And I say, okay, totally with you if that's what you need for yourself. And if it should happen, how do you wanna be notified? So I still wanna have that conversation. How, do you, how do anybody else yeah. do anything different?
0: Well I think I just want to say I think there's a real way that the partner gets empowered in that process as well. So um, many times in this dynamic, uh, the, the focus can go to the attic. the classic protocol was you know attic centered and so the partner was waiting, waiting, wondering, waiting and there wasn't any support or help for her and that paradigm has really shifted in the last what do you say guys maybe, 15 years, something like that, it 10 years, 10 years. Yeah. So I'm really wondering with the relapse prevention, how the partner can be empowered as much as possible. Does she then Uh, have uh, a strategy of what she's going to do with different levels of relapse, what she considers different levels of relapse. And does she, does she let the addict know? This is an interesting question, right? Does she let the addict know ahead of time? If you do this, then this is going to be the consequence. Uh, If, if this happens, then there's going to be a different type of consequence. What do you guys think?
3: I have a thought on that. I, I, I'm, i this is a whole question on boundaries, which we probably have another conversation. I was about. like, that's a whole nother episode. I, I love it. I was just gonna say, I I personally, having worked with partners, I mean, you may, I like to say I'm among the options I may, cons- I may do, the consequences I may have are these. I feel like sometimes partners, you know, you're faced with a situation, you have non-negotiables or you have certain boundaries in place and then it happens and then you have to decide Do I want to enact this consequence I set up ahead of time or maybe I feel differently or maybe it's I I thought I was going to do a but now I really want to do b so I've I've had some partners wrestle with well I said I was going to do this but now I actually want to do this Mm -hmm. what do I do am I am I keeping my own word now because of because of this so Mm -hmm. my own thing I I don't usually say I will do x y or z it's it's more of a um, kind of possibility yeah potential Mm -hmm. so I use
1: the word intention
3: Yeah, by
0: the way, to our listeners, so Dan wrote this amazing article called The New Scarlet Letter, and I would really encourage... both partners and addicts to read that because it's it's brilliantly written and it basically talks about, well, I'll let you describe it, Dan. Tell, tell, <laughs> well, yeah. well it's
3: basically, I mean, Esther but I'll, I'll give her credit. So she talked about, you know, ba- staying after infidelity as the new scarlet letter in our society, you know, obviously based on Nathaniel Hawthorne's work of the scarlet letter, you know, where, where women back in the day would have to wear the scarlet A if they were adulterers. Um, and now I think there's this extra uh, letter that, that partners betrayed spouses and partners wear post, um, post betrayal of this, this extra stigma of staying after infidelity. I think there's this extra shame partners and uh, experience. So, but it's, it's actually more common than, than you think that, that many betrayed partners, um, you know, it's easy to say, Oh, if I, if I had this happen to me, I would never stay with that jerk. You know, I would, I would dump that guy. But yet we never know because it's not just, this person isn't just the jerk. There's also history or there's kids or there's financial entanglements or there's love. You know, Mm -hmm. there's also, it's complicated. So. Anyway, I just think there's, it. we don't quite know what we're going to do until we're faced with a situation oftentimes. Mm-hmm. So.
0: Totally so in wrapping up, I'm thinking, uh, I want to invite all the listeners to also listen to our podcast on betrayal trauma that is specifically around partners. Uh, it, uh, the gender doesn't matter, but we're going to talk a lot about that dynamic and the uh, challenges with that. So as always, thank you so much for joining us in the conversation. You can uh, like us on Facebook or your favorite social media. And uh, if you have any questions, you can certainly email us. Thanks.
1: Okay, stop. (laughs) That's That's going to be a great blooper right
0: there. That's
3: great. That's perfect.
2: (laughs) (laughs)
1: What are we talking about?
3: (laughs) Okay, it's
1: it's sex addiction and
0: relationship. Okay,
2: <laughs> everything is going to be recorded,
1: and I should say only smart things. Want to keep it rolling just in case something crazy comes out of my mouth.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I have my control issues. Oh, sorry. Hi, Jane.
1: No, I'm done.